All right, let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 as a place to get started this morning. And I want to talk about just a little bit, really. I'm not even going to do an exposition of these two verses here. <coughs> but talk about a couple, a word here. In, well, three words, I guess, in particular here. Um, expressed in these verses, Romans 8, 28, and 29. Verses, I suppose, we've heard hundreds of times. And many, many folks claim these as their their life verse or their favorite verse in the Bible. One to quote, even in times of uh, distress, like Janet went through, and we just claim Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. And I trust and pray that we'll do justice to these verses this morning, um, uh, that we might be able to express the thought that's given to us exactly as the Lord intended it and meant for us to understand it. I know that if you were to look at all the systematic theology books in the world, you know, you would find this verse plastered all over them, especially when it came to the decrees and the councils, the foreordination, the predestination, and so on, the call of God, and so forth, (coughs) because uh, of the manner in which men look at this and define these various terms. So all I'm wanting to do then this morning is just go through the scriptures and look at just some of these words. Now, not at length all of them. There we would never, never get out of here on time for sure. But enough to give us the that what I believe to be and understand to be the central thought and key to a passage like this. And I'm thinking specifically of the words, whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. And so let's let's go back and look at, in verse 28, the first thing we want to consider is the word uh, called. To them who are the called according to his purpose. If we can identify who the called are, then it makes it a lot easier and a lot simpler to determine what the rest of this passage means and what predestinate means, what foreknow has to do with, and what purpose has to do with. So let's go back and look at a few passages where this word, kletos, to call, or it comes from the word to call, of course this is called here, uh, it means something on the order of to which you've been appointed. Let's look at Matthew chapter 20. I think it'll give us our first good instance of 
how this word is used. Now, if you looked in a dictionary, of course, you would find many, many definitions and, and uh, ways in which this word is used in various contexts. Then you would also find various other Greek words that are translated to call. For instance, there would be the word name. You, you know, I am called by Alan. Well, that's not the word used here. That's not the word we're talking about. We're talking about the word call in the sense of an ultimate purpose, just as it's stated in these passages or verses that we just read. So in Matthew, and also think of it just like the actual Strong's definition, invited. And if you read Matthew 20 and verse 16, it says there, so the last shall be first, and the first last. For many be called, but few are chosen. And of course, you know, this just goes, runs on to rabbit trails and rabbit trails like you wouldn't believe. Uh, you know, we could stop and look at the word many here. Many are called. Not all. And out of the many, a few are chosen. Turn a couple of chapters over to Matthew chapter 22 in the parable of the wedding feast. <coughs> and you can see several instances of that word, variations of it being used in this passage. In verse 3, for instance. He sent forth his servants to call them or to invite them that were invited to the wedding. It's the same word in both instances. To call that were bidden. So he is inviting them that were invited to the wedding feast. And they would not come. Verse 4 says, again, he sent forth other servants saying, Tell them which are bidden or invited. Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed and all things are ready and so on. Then as you come to the end of this parable, in verse 14, we see words very similar to what we saw in chapter 20. For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are invited to the wedding feast, but very few actually get chosen. Now, turn over to Romans, Romans chapter 1. There's a few more instances of this word here. And this is important because the passage we're looking at is in the book of Romans. And so, if we understand calling here, we will see a little further how it's used in chapter 9, or chapter 8 rather. In chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Or, as you see the words to be in italics, called an apostle. Now, it's the same word. It doesn't mean called by name an apostle, but called in the sense of <coughs> appointed an apostle. 
Then, if you look at verse 6, where it says, Among whom also ye uh, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. That is, to the church at Rome, to whom he is writing, he says, You also are the called of Jesus Christ. And then, verse 7, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. These who are appointed or invited to a particular calling, he designates as saints. And then, I want us to turn to, I'm going to skip that one there, um, and go to 1 Corinthians one twenty four. Of course, if we consider the context in which this uh, verse is, is given, by going back to verse 18, he says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us, us, which are saved, or which are being saved, literally, it is the power of God. To those who are presently Being saved in the process, it is the power of God. The cross is. And so that tells us who he's speaking of. Those who are seeking the Lord, walking by faith, believing his promises concerning the hope to come. And so when he comes to verse 24, he says, But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So he's designating for us a class of people. It's unto them which are called, invited, or appointed. Look at all the way back to the book of Jude. In this epistle, (coughs) in the first verse, is Jude, in the first verse, it says there, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, called. Invited, appointed. (coughs) And of course, he has earlier then in this verse identified them or further separated or delineated them by saying these are the sanctified. These are them that are set apart and preserved in Jesus Christ. Called. Now, Revelation chapter 17 We looked at this passage after I had some help. Couldn't remember where it was. Revelation 17 and verse 14. And here in this passage, 
He says this. These, she says, shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Now, when we looked at this passage some a few weeks ago, we were looking at the word chosen. Now we're looking at the word called. And we see that the ones who were with this Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, is a very specified, clearly delineated group. The called, the chosen, the faithful. Now, if, if we are called to something, then later, throughout the epistles in particular, the Lord refers, and, and of course, through the New Testament writers, Paul and Peter and so on, refers frequently to then our calling. That is, that which we are called to. And so guess what? We need to go look at some passages that talk about what our calling is then. So let's look, let's look at a few of those just now and see what we can glean from the New Testament as to our calling. Look <coughs> back in Romans chapter 11, and we're just looking at these chronologically as we move through the New Testament just simply because it makes it easier. But in Romans chapter 11 and verse 29, I think these are significant. These verses, that is, that we're going to read. Not just this one verse here, but the next several verses that we're going to read. Because he says in verse 29, For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Now, there is an article before the word calling. It is literally for the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance, without a change of mind. With that thought in mind, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, just a few pages over, not very far. And we saw in verse 24 where he said, but unto them which are called. But in verse 26 then, his conclusion then is, for ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Of course, are called is in italics, but it, it supplies the context in what Paul's talking about. Now, <coughs> There's an article here as well. And it would read pretty clumsily if we were to read, For ye see, you're the calling. But that's basically what it says. Or an easier way to read it would be, For you see the calling of you. For ye see the calling of you, brethren. And so this delineates this calling. It specifies it. It is a particular calling that Paul is dealing with. Chapter 7, verse 20 of Corinthians. 
just another again, just a few pages over. This one is in a whole other context, but he's, but but you'll catch the whole sense again. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Then let's look at uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And in verse 18, Ephesians 1, verse 18, there he says, <clears throat> For the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, again, there's an article here. And if you were to look at this literally, it would simply say, what is the hope of the calling of him? The other passage we looked at said the calling of you. It's the calling of him. His calling Upon us, those who believe. Now, turn over to chapter 4. And I think we'll begin to see a little more clearly now exactly what this calling is. In the King James Version, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. But the word we're looking at is not called, but calling. And that's the word vocation. And so, again, he's saying, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling wherewith you're called. You have been called to a calling. And that is our vocation. I know you think of the vocation as something like your job or your career. Well, that's the career of a Christian. It's the job of a Christian. It's the calling of a Christian. For those who believe the Lord's promises. Look at verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of the calling. The word your is not in Greek. It's the calling. In one hope, he says, of the calling. You know, when we hear people, and I hear, and justly so, and I mean, I enjoy hearing it, we, get, we give testimony, you know, of the, what we appreciate about the common faith, the common understanding the common goal, the common purpose of what the Lord Jesus Christ saved us for. And here we find it <coughs> expressed <coughs> excuse me, in these very words. In one hope of your calling. That's why the, the one body and the one spirit and one Lord and one faith and one baptism are all so important. For unity. For unity's sake. Now let's go on to another passage, Philippians 3.14. A passage that I, 
I believe we're all familiar with, quite familiar with, actually. Another passage that's probably been written and discussed umpteen times more than we care to know. Philippians 3.14. In chapter 3, verse 14 of Philippians, he says, I, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now here he gives us an adjective describing that calling. The article's there. It's the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Look over at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 11. There he says, Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling. But it's actually of the calling. You see, this is in italics. That he would count you worthy of the calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. Look at, Second Timothy now. Second Timothy. <coughs> one nine. Now we're looking at a lot of passages, but let me assure you we're not looking at all of them. So take heart in that. Hopefully. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Now, if I get out of chapter 2, we'll probably be good. Who has saved us and called us with an holy calling. Now we see the connection of the calling <coughs> and the call. He has called us with a holy calling. <coughs> And I want to read chapter 3, verse 1 of Hebrews, only because it's a very familiar passage to us, where he says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. The heavenly calling, the high calling, the calling. What is it that we've been called to? What is the hope that we are called to? Well, let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. If you look at verse 3 first, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, here we find in this, this passage here, uh, Peter says, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So now he, we have a little clearer distinction. What is the calling to? To glory and virtue. Look at verse 10. 
Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall, and so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you could draw a line from that verse, the everlasting kingdom, back to chapter th- or, or verse 3, rather, and to glory, then you can make the connection of what the calling is. The call to glory is the call to participation in, to have an abundant entrance into the messianic kingdom, the messianic rule. Now, really, this is just all groundwork because I want us to go back to Romans chapter 8 now. Back to Romans chapter 8 and verses 28 and 29. And see if we can pull something together here regarding these verses. Because they can be... understandably, at least in the King James Version, but I think in other versions as well, difficult to understand. Um, Let's look at verse 28 again. He says, again, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. That's a qualifier. To them who are the called. That's another qualifier. According to his purpose. <coughs> now that word, <coughs> that word purpose there is really a very interesting word. In other places in the New Testament, it is translated showbread. And this word literally means the setting forth. And that's what they did when they put the showbread in the tabernacle. Or in the temple. And it's in the... Well, in... um, hmm, Did I write that down? You know what? Oh, yeah, I did. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 2. That word is used there again. And if you... Let's just take a gander at that real quick. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 2. Keep your finger in Romans 8, by the way. We're going to come back there. In Hebrews 9, 2, he says, For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread. That's exactly the same word we have translated purpose back in chapter 8 of Romans. And this word showbread, it means literally, in this passage here now, it's plural because there was more than one loaf. It's the setting forth of the loaves. Now, if we went back to the Gospels, and if you will keep your finger in Romans still, and look back at uh, Luke chapter 6, we'll just look at one passage. Luke chapter 6, verse 4. 
Now, this is the account that was, is given to us concerning David. And he says how he went into the house of God and did take and eat the showbread. That is, the loaves of the set forth. And, of course, the idea here is that in setting forth the loaves, it's more like, and very, I guess if you were to look at the Romans chapter 8 translation, the purpose, it has to do with God's ultimate purpose. And these setting forth of the loaves depicted that. It also has to do with the idea of a display of before the Lord. It has to do with his presence. And so if we go back to Romans chapter 8 and look at that passage again, and we look at those who fill the qualifications, who fit the distinction set forth in this verse, that is, them that love God, them that are other, the called, according to his purpose. That is, a dis- if you think of it as, um, I don't know if I want to use that word or not, it would be something akin to Ephesians 2, I guess, where he talks about we are like trophies, set forth as a display or there it's all God's creation to visibly see. But here, as in the tabernacle, it's more like it's for God's own enjoyment. It is for God's purpose, for him. And so when we go to verse 29 then, it says, For whom he did foreknow, and that word foreknow means just like you would expect it to sound like, to know ahead of time, to know beforehand, to foreknow something. He also did predestinate. The word there is pro pro harizo. And in if you just look at the word orizo, H-O-R-I-Z-O, if you just put an N on the end, you have horizon. And if you just keep that in mind, then you'll have an understanding of what that word means because on the horizon is the marked out place. It's a boundary. It's a word of limitation. It's the, the horizon is, is a, <clears throat> it's as far as you can see. And you can see no farther. And so when he says. Whom he did foreknow. He also did. Predestinate. Or. Set out a limit. Like a horizon. He did. um, Mark out. And so what I'm trying to say here then. Is this word. Predestinate is setting boundaries. It's not every person that God created. It's not even every believer. And he says here, these whom he foreknew, he also did predestinate. 
Now, I think I was reading one commentator, and he really gave a, a great explanation here that I think really helps clarify this a lot for us, is that he doesn't say there, for whom he did foreknow, he therefore did predestinate. One is not the consequence of the other. But that's the way many, many theologians look at that verse. And I'm afraid because of the things we've heard, the things we read, we often think of it that way. And I know for the longest time I did, that's exactly how I read that verse. I read the words also, but I didn't think that way. Because I was taught and trained through teaching and preaching and reading to think of it in another fashion. But it doesn't mean therefore. It means also, in addition to. And so those whom the Lord foreknew, this is what he did for them. He also did mark out a boundary for them. And then he goes on to say, that these whom he set this boundary for would be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And so you see the context again in which the firstborn, the many brethren, it's not all the brethren, it's the many. And so in verse 30 then, when he says, Moreover, whom he did mark out of those whom he foreknew, these that he marked out, them he also did what to then? He called them. And then, whom he called, them he, not therefore justified, but also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. So what I think we're seeing in this passage here is the ultimate consummation, the ultimate conclusion to those who fulfill the prerequisites for that passage. Simply put then, the idea of God foreknowing, well, let me just tell you how it was put to me when I was in seminary. This had to do back with um, uh, the uh, First Peter chapter one. Now I'm not going to go there. In Second Peter, First Peter chapter one, the professor that was teaching it said um, regarding the word foreknow, he said with a view to causation. That was his definition. So what he was saying then, and this is a very popular common understanding, is that when God says he foreknew something, that automatically includes that he caused it to happen. What I'm saying is is that a careful look at this passage and these words, calling and called and predestinate, eliminate that idea. It is not a causative thing for God to foreknow something ahead of time. I mean, we don't use the word that way. 
if we if, if we said we know ahead of time there's certain event going to take place, that doesn't mean we caused it. If we said that, um, <clears throat> you know, I know that my house is going to be broken into, that doesn't mean you caused it to happen. It just simply means you knew ahead of time that it was going to happen. And that's what the Lord's telling us here. Why is that important then? <clears throat> because if we simply look back in the same chapter, chapter 8, and look at verses 12, 13, and 14. Therefore, brethren, he says, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many, and I like those words there, again, again. Those are words of limitation. As many as define, set boundaries around a certain group. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, he says, these, he says, are the sons of God. And so what we're trying to say here then is that prior to this passage, these, these, these verses here, in the same chapter, <coughs> Paul is warning us and telling us that it's possible for these who are the called, these who, are, who, who love God, to walk after the flesh and to experience the death that he's talking about here. And he's urging us rather to walk after the Spirit and, there, and so experience life. Or as he says here, ye shall live. And so when he says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, that is a leading of God's Spirit in the area of sanctification of setting his people apart. Why? Because they live obediently. He doesn't set apart the ones that live disobediently. He is, he's separating those that walk obediently before him. And so consequently, <coughs> in the end, he's simply telling us in verse, in chapter, in verse 28, Verse 29, these whom he foreknew, these he also did preordain or mark out for a purpose. And that is to, to be justified and, well, called and justified and ultimately glorified. My point it is not an automatic thing. And yet, you turn on just about any radio program, and they will tell you a, a part of justification is that when you accept Christ as your Savior, you believe on the Lord that you are justified automatically. 
And there's really nothing you need to worry about because at the judgment seat of Christ, you're justified, declared to be righteous. When in actual fact, people are living all sorts of unrighteous lives all around us. And so the encouragement and the warning together that he gives to us, if we look back at verse 17, he says, then we are joint heirs, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Now, here he's talking about glorification. And he says that we may be glorified together with him. I really enjoy reading the NIV's translation of this passage. Because it says there, if we suffer with him, excuse me, that we are joint heirs with him, if we suffer with him, in order that, we may share in his glory. Now, I don't believe any kingdom believer, at least as we understand it, did the translation work on that verse. But the sense of the verse is expressed exactly as it ought to be, that we might share in his coming glory. And so that might be, I hope, for you and I, and it is for me, a strong inducement, a strong encouragement to be careful how I walk, to be careful how I talk, and to so order my life and live my life before the Lord that I would not be counted amongst those in uh, verse verse four, uh, 13, rather, who walk after the flesh and experience this death. Because those who experience this death are those who will not be glorified together with him. I'm really not wanting to be a part of that company. My company was to be with you, with the Lord. That's the desire of my heart. I pray that we'll think about that in this coming year and that we'll consider very deeply where our nation is headed. Not just where our nation, though. Think about and watch very carefully where all of Christianity is headed. Pay special attention to the direction in which we're heading. And it, I, hope, I hope it would do one thing for you. I, think, I hope it would just cause you to separate yourself farther and farther and farther away from that mess. And if you go back and read the Gospels again, read particularly, say, in Matthew, um, where John the Baptist came preaching... Repent and be baptized for the kingdom of God is very near. It's here. And what he was doing when he called them out into the desert, he was calling them to separate themselves from... He doesn't use these words here. It's just another it's another location, but he says from this wicked and untoward generation. That was his description of the of basically the land of Israel and Jews at that time. 
And his call for you and I is really the same thing. Christianity has degenerated so far. Now, it's always been true that we need to separate from that. But it's the, the, what I'm trying to say is the lines have become so clear in this day and age. I have a hard time understanding why people can't see the difference and they want to mingle with this crowd over here. I really don't. I want to get away from them. <laughs> I told somebody the other day, I said, I am so glad I'm over here at this church now. I didn't see it that way when I had their Sunday school class. But now that I'm here, I don't want to be anywhere else. I'm glad that you are my brother, and that you are my sister. I don't want any others. Well, except those of like mind and faith, of course. I'm talking about here. <laughs> I pray that God will bless you real good today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this privilege. Now bless us, we pray, as we depart. And, and well, even before that, Lord, we have an invitation here to give anybody that desires so an opportunity to come. And I pray that you'll touch our hearts and speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.